At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Here we are again for another week of Political Breakfast. I'm your host, Lisa Ram, and of course, also here, Democratic strategist Theron Johnson and Republican strategist Brian Robinson. Nice to see both of you. Literally, good to Thanks, see Lisa. you. Yeah, yeah it's can, really good to I see know. You, I used to see you coming into the studios uh, a long time ago, pre-pandemic. So uh, <laughs> this is our our new normal. So uh, we'll have to live with it and pretend like we're around the coffee table talking politics, right? Um, <laughs> speaking of the pandemic, that's what I'd like to jump off with uh, today, if, if the two of you don't mind. You know, the mayor of Savannah has this mask mandate now, and and. The virus is creeping back up. You have the governor tweeting, you know, everybody go to the doctor, please, and and perhaps get a shot. And then the CDC issuing rules for K through 12. What's happening here? Are we, gonna, are we seeing that legislative role start again where we're going to see these cities one after the other, uh, the other uh, have these mandates all over again? Well, I, I would tell you this, Lisa, what's so interesting is that, you know, Mayor Van Johnson is a, is a dear friend. He's the mayor of Savannah, Georgia. And you may remember he was the first city um, almost a year ago that decided to make mass man a mandate in, in the city of Savannah. And so it's really kind of unfortunate because, you know, I'm planning to go to the Georgia Municipal Association annual meeting in Savannah. And uh, I know a lot of uh, city officials from around the state of Georgia are very eager to, to go. But I have to trust Mayor Johnson's leadership. Uh, he's definitely one that believes in the science, but I think it will sort of slowly create sort of a trickle down of other cities falling suit uh, to make mass, um, you know, a mandate and priority to, to for people to wear in the cities. You know, the problem with these mandates, of course, is it's not the cities that are enforcing them. You end up making private property owners, business owners tick off their own customer base after a pretty trying year. Nobody wants to have that job. No business wants to be, you know, given that responsibility to make sure that everybody is wearing a mask. And I think people are just over it. You know, I have been vaccinated. Everybody in my circles have been vaccinated. And I feel fairly safe. You know, what I keep seeing on TV is everybody's in the hospital. Everyone who is dying is uh, has got no vaccination. So... I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. I don't. Well, want there are to those have breakthrough to... cases, though. There are those breakthrough cases. So you know, I think yeah, that's but those people, fear yeah, you, you people can still again. get sick. You can still get sick, but you're not going to get put into the hospital or or die. That's 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 what I've been getting. Who wants COVID though? I don't. <laughs> no, I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't either. I don't either. Yeah. None of us want COVID, right? Right. But well, well, if I can jump in here, you know, Brian kind of sounds like uh, the former mayor, Kasim Reed, sounded. Lisa, you remember this um, when Snowmageddon happened and 
there were so many memes that went around on social media and it was like, but did you die? <laughs> um, I, I think, I think the, 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 the challenge here is that we're going to be, you know, sort of act like we're doctors. The vaccine definitely uh, is to prevent you from getting COVID-19. But if you, for whatever reason, unfortunately get the, um, this deadly disease, it prohibits you from dying. So I think that's the, the more correct messaging. But, but back to the business owners, I, I do agree with Brian that I think in the city of Savannah, uh, which is, is depends so much on tourism, it's definitely going to help the small businesses. But I do think the sooner we can actually start taking these precautions, the quicker we can get a handle of it. What I don't want to happen is for it to get out of control. Yeah. And then we force people to start back wearing masks. And then there's also been a lot of talks about we may have to take a booster shot. Yeah, with that yeah. said. And look, I'm fine with the booster shot. Give me give me the sneaking shot. That's fine. <laughs> and Anything with, right. other than me having to put on a, uh, a mask. You know, and, and look, I never had to wear a mask that much. When I went into the grocery store, I would throw one on. The biggest inconvenience of it for me was you can't use your face ID on your phone. So if somebody takes you while you're in the grocery store, you got to sit there and put in your code. And that's just a real pain. You know, first world problems here, right? Uh, but here's the here's the, po- the political issue, since this is political breakfast. Van Johnson is a Democrat, and Democrats can be for mask mandates, and Republicans can't. And that is the political reality. We can, we can sit here and talk about the science and... It, it, but it doesn't. The science doesn't matter in the politics. The Democrats can be for it. The Republicans can't. That is the reality. But at if this you are point, a Republican. But at this point, is it a legislative issue? I mean, we've been through this what a year and a half now. Is it more common sense at this point? You know, uh, wear a mask. I think so. You know, is, is it a legislative issue? Well, I think what is common sense is getting the vaccine. Uh, that's what gets drives me crazy. Just go do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I I do not get as as Max Boot in the Washington Post said. America is the only place where you have to pay people to take a miracle drug. <laughs> well, I, I do think Lisa, you, you're hitting on something here, and you definitely have the foresight to know that while it's probably not a legislative issue right now, it's going to become one because Brian just laid out a very partisan. Again, wedge issue uh, where Republicans are going to have to defend if people continue to attract this um, uh, deadly disease and we start getting more infections and people are being in the hospital and dying. I think that Mayor Johnson is, again, taking the right step. And this is, again, it's not uncharacteristic of him. I mean, he did this before. But I think ultimately the one thing we all agree on is that if you have not received the vaccine, the vaccine, you got to go out and get it because it just makes total sense for you to do so to not only save your lives, but to also save others. Adding on to that, though, I want to say the people who are most likely to complain about mask mandates and complain mm-hmm. the loudest mm-hmm. are the people who don't take any of this seriously and haven't gotten vaccinated. And so what's going to happen is that those of us who have gotten vaccinated, who have been responsible and followed the science, we're going to be inconvenienced. You know, I don't want my daughter, who's about to go back to school, to have to wear a mask all day. I just I just don't want her to have to, even though she handles it much better than I do. But that may be the reality because so many people won't do what they need to do. Well, how inconvenient is it going to be to hear it on the campaign trail? It's election season. Do you think uh, a lot of candidates had piqued their interest yesterday that uh, the Savannah mayor came across with this mandate and, and now they're like, oh, OK, this is a great talking point, you know, on the campaign trail? Listen, I think every single Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, 
coroner, sheriff, you name it, are going to be judged by what I call the three C's. That's COVID-19, that's um, crime, and credibility. And the three C's, I think, Lisa, are going to be so important on the campaign trail. And where you're going with this is that has Mayor Van Johnson created a political sort of you know, snowball effect? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think he has. And you're now going to put pressure on Augusta, Macon. And then, you know, look, I know Brian knows this may happen. I don't think that his mayor, um, who's a dear friend of ours, uh, you know, John Ernst, in the, in the city of Brookhaven, who, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, was pretty quick also to um, yeah. well, he shut down. He was quick to shut down the city. I don't think he, um, well, no, he yeah, he was quick to do the mask mandate too. And so what's going to happen, yeah. Lisa, is that if Brookhaven, which where Brian lives with the three-car garage and the manicured <laughs> lawn, um, and then he I think he was shaking his head a minute mayor. ago, so I want to know why. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then my mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, who... She follows this this dashboard, you know, this sort of these zones, this phased approach. If the numbers start to creep up in Atlanta, I would not be surprised if action. she comes back with a mass mandate. Right, right. What was that look about, Brian? There in the three car garage, there in whose house is much bigger <laughs> than mine. That guy, that guy. All right, yeah. well, we'll wait. Because he only lives in Buckhead, right? <laughs> no, not nearly as fancy as Not Brookhaven. as fancy, okay. Well, we're just a day into this, so, so we'll wait and see. But I um, was reading uh, some papers, and of course, uh, one headline from the AJC. I have to, to get, you know, uh, recognize AJC here. It says, take over Fulton elections considered by Georgia Republicans. We've heard this before. Here we go again. Whole list of Republicans listed. Um, why? Is this still a possibility? Fulton, yes, has had its issues, but there have been all of the the audits and 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 what have you. Um, people are going to look at this one way. You think, Brian? No, GOP no. taking people over Fulton. People taking over Fulton, trying to put very... Fulton in the pocket because it was so kind to the Democrats. I think that's how people are going to no, see it. No, no, that's not what it is. And so that's why where people are not going to see this in one way. They're going to see it in two ways. Republicans are going to see it one way, and Democrats are going to see it another way. And the way that Republicans see this, and I think that there is a voter access issue here that Republicans can really drive. Uh, that's obviously what I do for a living is more on the messaging end. And what Republicans are looking at isn't so much changing the 2020 election or saying that the election was stolen. That's not what this is about. It's about the fact that Fulton County, and we all agree, I mean, Democrats agree with this. Everybody sitting here at this kitchen table agrees with me that Fulton County has had systemic problems for as long as we can all remember. For sure. And, you know, let's let's not forget last year, Fulton suppressed voters. The Democrat election board in Fulton suppressed voters by not being able to get out absentee ballots. And not just late, they never showed up to many of the voters who requested them. Fulton County is where we have these long lines that national Democrats point to as how Georgia suppresses votes. Well, that's a Democrat-run county. They make those decisions about how to divvy up those resources. So what Republicans are saying is if the Fulton County guys can't get this in order, they can't get their game straight, we keep having these problems, then yes, the state is going to step in, not to help Republicans win, but to help voters, and ironically, Democrat voters, have access to the ballot. You buy that, Theron? 
No, not at all, Lisa. Listen, it's all true. Um, it's, it's, Brian and I gospel. had the opportunity to, you know, we, we've discussed this a lot on this podcast, and, and, and um, Richard Barron uh, actually was on a panel with us a few years ago, and, and, and while, yes, Fulton County, Lisa, has had some challenges, let's not over, you know, let's not sort of just glance over the changes that they made. I think when you had the election commission, the board, uh, the chairman of Fulton County, Rob Pitts, all come together and come up with this great idea of opening up State Farm Arena. Um, before that, I think they they had it open, you know, during the primary, making it more accessible for people to vote. And this fraud that Republicans like to talk about that happened in Fulton County, there was all these false claims about a video and people, you know, throwing away ballots. It just didn't happen. But the, the problem here is, Lisa, is that in the state of Georgia, um, when Republicans were in, con- in control, um, you know, back when they were in a minority, even also, uh, they always were the big proponents of local control. And now what they're trying to do is they're taking away local control by a, a county that is responsible for running elections because they did not like the vote outcome. And at a time where they know that the election was so close, mm-hmm. if they're able to take over Fulton County and try to uh, come up with all these different conspiracy theories to make more voters apathetic, then that actually benefits them. And so ultimately, I think that Fulton County, while they have had challenges, definitely show in this lax election that um, they, they they definitely took some precautionary measures. They were very proactive. And more importantly, Lisa, they were transparent about the process. Now, in the absentee ballots, Brian does have a small point there. But if we're going to be fair, a lot of counties, even Republican counties across the state of Georgia, were late in getting out the absentee ballots as well. Yeah, but they got there eventually, right? I mean, I'm not making a small point. I'm making tens and tens <laughs> of thousands yeah. of points because, but, yeah. because, I mean, look, and, I, and we saw our, our fellow Democrat friends were on Twitter going, still haven't gotten my ballot, you know, and, and that was in Fulton County. And, and look, it, it's not like, oh, it was the pandemic and all of a sudden these problems. That's true. I mean, they're, they're, that did create challenges. And we responded to that by sending everybody absentee ballot applications. We responded by having drop boxes. But uh, Fulton County was the county that dropped mm-hmm. the ball. They just couldn't get it together. And at some juncture, that's hurting voters. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I don't get about the Democrat messaging is they keep talking about Republicans suppressing minority votes, Democrat votes. No. What Republicans are trying to do is make sure that everybody has a system that works. So, I mean, but we're months down the road. And who's really talking about this? Like if I go to the supermarket and see some friends, I mean, they're not they're not Stacey talking Abrams. about this. Who, who's talking about this other than these Republicans trying to to get this mission going? Well, Elisa, I wanted to jump in this week, and I'm going to be brief. That's the one thing that keeps me up at night. Democrats, we spent so much time in a very factual and methodical way of explaining how Senate Bill 202 restricts access to voting, right? And some have called it, not me, Jim Crow 2.0, and it's dominating national news. But Lisa, you just said exactly what my aunts, my uncles, my cousins they are all like, we're confused and we're Democrats. And I'm going to say this, we better wake up and we better stop. Is that the more we continue to talk about this without having a plan B of making sure that people are educated on how they need to vote. And more importantly, I've said this on this podcast, get the 300,000, 400,000 people who don't have an ID, educate them on how to go get this ID is free. But what I'm worried about, Lisa, is keeping me up at night 
is that if we do not have a so plan a is to continue the legal process right we know that's going to carry itself out mm -hmm. and i believe democrats have good standing but plan b lisa has got to be we got to educate folks we got to keep them motivated because mm -hmm. i'm afraid of voter apathy and if people are afraid and they're confused by the Republicans continuing to spread a lot of lies about things that did not happen in the election, then the Democrats, I believe, are going to see the numbers drop for us at a time when we have been kicking the Republicans' butts the last few elections as far as turning out our voters. We got to be very careful not to just focus on one message. We got to have multiple messages going into a, the election. Are too many people relying you know, on Stacey Theron, Abrams, is, is, you think? You know, that was her her mission. That was her goal. Well, and that's, you know, people I, look to her they, for that. Well, Stacey won't come on the podcast. And, you know, I know we've invited her, you know, Dennis, I, I, you know, I was told I invited her a few times. And, you know, I think that she I, I would love she to have her, by the way, there, well, I, I love I to have her. I'll put that request me, Lisa, in because, is that, yeah, a lot is resting on her yeah, shoulders, it seems. And let me be clear. You know? We need her. She's doing a phenomenal job of keeping the pressure on, continuing to show why Senate Bill 202 restricts access to voting, how it discriminates African-American voters, and how it was, quite frankly, unnecessary. She's, we need her for that. She's, she's the best messenger. Lisa, I just hope that her or others take the same responsibility and leadership that I'm doing and say, we also got to have another message because we don't really know the legislative outcome or the legal outcome of Senate Bill 202 to make sure that we're still encouraging people to participate in the process and do not let them become apathetic when it comes to voting. Well, you know, I mean, we do kind of know what the legal outcome is going to be. This is going to hold up in court. We saw the Supreme Court ruling in the Arizona case about uh, some provisions that were very similar to ours, and it passed legal muster. So this law is going to, going to stay in place. I think we can say that fairly assuredly. And, you know, Stacey Abrams has a messaging issue, and that is she was the person who made it cool to question the integrity of Georgia elections. Mm -hmm. He's the one that made that okay. You know, Theron and I did a live event for Political Breakfast right after the election in 2018. So we're in front of, you know, several hundred people, and I said, very liberal crowd, they, that's what we usually get, and I said the election wasn't stolen. And I got very loudly booed oh, wow. and people screaming yeah. at me and um and that was a it democratic crowd that bad. It, it was bad so remember the guy remember the guy going something <laughs> something is seriously wrong with you <laughs> i do remember that yeah he shout out to that, that gentleman uh, he, he should definitely he should he should, ta he he definitely right. should tag no. us on twitter i yeah, mean yeah he, he was right. sitting next to my parents so, so they loved it um were, you know i think they feared for my safety but that was a democrat crowd and two years later it's republicans and so I think Stacey should love the security measures of 202 since she feels like the election in 2018 was stolen. So hopefully this will ease her concerns about that in future elections. I quickly, because I got called out on Twitter for not pushing back on Brian. I got forget the guy's name, but he said, Darren, I don't know how you, you know, do it with the podcast. And, you know, Brian goes on his <laughs> rants and I said, it's just a lot of deep breaths <laughs> and uh, patient. But, you know, I do think, Lisa, there is a legal pathway for some things that are in Senate Bill 202 to be deemed unconstitutional. Um, you know, you have the U.S. Department of Justice that has filed a lawsuit against Georgia because of Senate Bill 202. And so I, I had to push back on Brian to say that I do think you're going to find and I, and, I, and I would make a prediction. I think it would be removing the secretary of state who was elected by voters in the state of Georgia to have a constitutional responsibility to oversee the elections and removing him from that process and basically retaliate in a retaliatory way because he didn't go with their 
former president, the leader of the GOP, I think that is going to be one that um, has strong legal standing. All right. Time now to take a break. We'll come back and talk about a few other tidbits like uh, Mayor Bottoms getting a new job. We'll be right back. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Great to have you on another edition of Political Breakfast. Uh, I was one of those when um, Mayor Bottoms announced that she was not running for re-election. I, w- I was shocked. I was shocked. I really thought she was running for a second term. But I'm also one of those who was waiting to see what she was going to do next. And then the news comes out that uh, she's going to work at Clark and and kind of be a liaison uh, for other HBCUs. And and I thought that, that suits her well. What do you what are, what are your thoughts there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, not only am I a graduate of Clark Atlanta University, I'm also a member of the Board of Trustees, the youngest uh, trustee member, um, Lisa, and many people that you know, like Ingrid Saunders-Jones and Carolyn Young, the wife of Ambassador Young, are all on the board. And so with me being the youngest member, I don't get a chance to say too much, but they do take my money every year (laughs) that I give back. Green talks. So with with that being said... This is a perfect opportunity for Mayor Bottoms to go to Clark Lane University, uh, a university that she um, is very familiar with because her mother graduated from right, Clark Lane right. University. And as we know, going Mayor home Bottoms to graduated yeah, from. She's going home. Yeah, yeah. She graduated from Florida A&M. So her love and commitment to historically black colleges and universities is just unwavering. So I believe that she took this job because, you know, you had Howard getting all this credit with all these people mm-hmm. coming there to be lecturers and doing classes. And so it keeps her at home. Uh, she will be able to educate uh, a young, vibrant, talented group of students that are at Clark Land University. And to be able to have that experience from a woman who served as a magistrate court judge, who served as a city council member, uh, who served as a mayor, and I believe single-handedly uh, because of her loyalty to now President Joe Biden, had played a, a significant role, probably the most important role mm-hmm. of anybody uh, besides Jim Clyburn mm-hmm. in South Carolina to helping Joe Biden become the president of the United States of America. And so this is wonderful for her. But I want to say this, too. I don't think this is the only thing she's going to do. Yeah, there's something else. There's something one. else cooking. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. She, she's very private. Uh, you know, a lot of her staff members, they listen to the, the podcast. So I don't want to uh, speculate because they'll start thinking <laughs> I'm coming up with these conspiracy right. theories. Don't worry, Mayor right. Bottoms. There are no right. leaks in your administration. No one has told me right. anything. But I think, Lisa, you're going to see her come out and do something uh, bigger and maybe something um, that still requires her to be political. Uh, she may go into the corporate arena. And then I'm, I'm going to say this on Political Breakfast. I would not be surprised um, that if she decides to seek political office again, not sure what office it would be, yeah. 
But on down the road, whether it's two, four years from now, I think you probably would see her on the ballot again. I would be very surprised by that. She seems to hate it. I mean, she just she seems <laughs> to have think, no interest. You think she's whatsoever. just had, she's had her fill and she's just gonna take a completely different path? Yeah, I mean, just uh, showed no interest in in fundraising, even though. At the end of the day, she started the year with less than a hundred thousand. You know, four years before, Kasim Reed had over a million at that point in time. But she did, even as she was moving toward the announcement that she wasn't going to run again, she raised bukus of money. What is it there? Over two million or something like that? I mean, she has some huge number that came in, and that's absolutely remarkable to me. Now, on the Biden administration thing, what Theron said is true. She was there early, and this is something we've discussed here for the last two years. Yeah, she really did jump out there early. She was out there, and, mm-hmm. you know, she, she was did. out there shucking corn in Iowa for the guy, you know? I mean, she was <laughs> all over the place in South Carolina for him and got in the good graces of Jim Clyburn, who became known as sort of the kingmaker for Biden delivering South Carolina in that primary after Biden had gotten the, the stew kicked out of him in Iowa mm-hmm. and New Hampshire. So the question is, why hasn't she been offered a high-profile job in the administration yet? Somebody who is something's somebody brewing. like I her. I just think something's brewing. Yeah, I really do. Well, it'll, to, me, to me, and I, I don't have friends in City Hall. They don't call me. I don't know the mayor. We've never spoken because she's refused to go to lunch uh, despite the, the numerous invitations. And so I don't really, I don't, I don't talk to her, but it will seem odd to me as an outsider, somebody who watched her go to Iowa, stick with Biden through all the bad times, her guy wins. Those people are supposed to get yeah. the seats in the front row. Back, right. Where's her seat, right? Well, Unless, it, unless there's something in the oppo that we don't know about. It's, it's been that, kept that's warm. a problem. Uh, it's it's not a no, we don't know. There may yeah. be like a, a skeleton well, in the closet. There's there's no oppo. And, and Lisa, you remember this. The mayor was offered a cabinet position. Uh, at the time, it wasn't a cabinet position, but now it, it is, is uh, to run SBA. Uh, the small small business administration, uh, and she she respectfully declined. Um, you know there was no offer for ambassador of the Bahamas, which yeah, that actually would have been rumor, cool, right? Um, so that's that's not true. She didn't. She's not going to work at Walgreens, Brian. So you know you're not going to be able to see her. In a, <laughs> Brian, in did, a, you in a did you start that? Did you start that one? Okay. Uh, but Brian made so <laughs> many comments about like, how he what? can't wait to drive up to the yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. she even had to again, come out and deny well, that one. Little, little red vest. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, again, I got to be careful because I have not spoken to the mayor yeah. about her plans yeah. and, and definitely well, we, stab. Yeah, but we certainly were sure. I, I wouldn't rule out. I would not rule out the possibility of a Biden administration yeah. um, opportunity too. But again, I have no evidence right. that no everybody, one's told me that. Everybody's sitting But I wouldn't rule that out. All right. We talked about know. her legacy. Biden, I'm, I'm just here to tell you, as a Republican who did not vote for Biden and cannot vote for Akeja Lance Bottoms, he owes her. That's, mm-hmm. and that, that's just my outsider's mm-hmm. view. That's the feeling you, of some. You know, yeah, you, sure. you love You love on the people who are dancing with you before you were cool. Right. Well, we talked about her legacy quickly. Uh, Brian Miller, the grandson of Zell, he's uh, making a run for lieutenant governor. And, and Brian, that really piqued your interest, didn't it? This is a spectacularly bad idea. <laughs> and, and, let me, and let me tell you why. Uh, one, you know, Brian is running on the idea that he is Zell Miller's grandson. And that was a big part of his rollout and who he is and what he's running on, talking about hope. And he's running as a Democrat, as Zell Miller's grandson. Democrats don't like Zell Miller yeah. because he went to Washington as a Democrat and voted with the Republicans, spoke at the 04 convention for President George W. Bush. And 
really burned a lot of bridges with the Democrats back home in Georgia. Became a you know a star, a hero on the right uh, for Republicans. He's beloved amongst Republicans. Mm-hmm. He endorsed <laughs> he endorsed Nathan Deal in 2010 on the campaign that I was on over Roy Barnes, the guy who had put him in the Senate as governor. Um, so it's messy. Yeah, you you think his run is pretty messy? <laughs> yeah, Probably I mean, I mean look, you can't yeah. run it. I mean. You can't run as a Democrat as, you know, I'm carrying on Zell Miller's legacy. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't work because they don't like him. And, you know, and two, let me tell you, one other problem that he has is it's hard in a statewide race for a white Democrat to win in a race that is contested by by legitimate, funded African-American candidates. Look at 2018. I, I looked this up because this, this, this did pique my interest, Lisa. You're right. <laughs> So, Theron, I got a quiz for you, Theron. Who ran against Sarah Riggs Amico in the 2018 Democratic primary for LG? Um, you had... Um, no Googling. No, no, no. I'm trying to remember. In the, in the primary, you, no, you had... Um, God, no. You're making there, a point for me. There was an African-American me. woman. I can't remember her name. I know where you're going with this. And she received a lot of the votes. Uh, yes. She came in second place. I want to... Oh, like Khadijah or something. Um, um, I can't remember, but, but it does the, end with an A. It does end with an A. <laughs> yeah, Adam. Yeah, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. I yeah, just can't okay. remember her name. Her name she got, is. She got a significant amount of votes. You're absolutely right. Thank you. You made my point there as you were searching for that name. And never what's got her name? It. I wasn't looking. Triana. And I'll be saying it wrong, but Triana Arnold yeah. James. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Sarah Riggs Amico, who is a white business executive, that's how she styled herself. She spent nine hundred thousand dollars in that primary. A significant amount for LG. Her opponent, Triana Arnold James, an African-American candidate, spent $11,000, much of which was uh, reimbursements for gas and food. <laughs> so not, not a cent spent on voter contact. And Triana got 45% of the vote, mm-hmm. 900000 to zero, basically. But she, had, uh, she was notably African-American uh, on the ballot, mm-hmm. and that was what mattered. It got her 45% of the vote. So if you are a black candidate up going up against a white candidate in the Democratic primary, your base, if voters know that you are black, is 45%. You can't go below that. So it's extremely narrow path for a white candidate in a statewide election unless the field is cleared, you know, like what we had, um, you know, essentially for John Ossoff. I mean, there were two white women running against him, so it wasn't the racial issue there. But that's going to be a problem, and there's no pathway for Brian Miller. I don't know what Brian Miller did to um, Brian Robinson, Lisa, (laughs) but for him to come on this podcast and just surgically try to destroy this guy's candidacy <laughs> for, for lieutenant words, governor right it's, it's, it's definitely something there that we um so now so now what he's forced me to do lisa is i gotta defend brian who i don't think <laughs> i've um met but maybe once so i gotta do it because gotta be we have fair a dear friend on this podcast that's for sure yeah we gotta be fair but, no, but but look let me just say a couple things uh let me let me defend defend brian robinson's new best friend john ossoff while john ossoff did not have an African-American in his um, race for U.S. Senate in the primary, mm-hmm. for him to win that race without a runoff because of my hero, the late Congressman John Lewis, he was able to get a lot of these African-American votes that Brian I'm talking about. I also looked this up while I was letting Brian kind of go on his rant. Let's not also forget 
the power of the black women in the Democratic Party, but particularly black women candidates. Mm -hmm. There was also the former mayor of Latonia, Georgia, Deborah Jackson, who got a lot of votes in the special jungle primary for what Senator Warnock was running in. And so I think while yes, like 300,000 votes, I mean, it was something yeah, it, it's, it's, it's significant. Impressive. And that's why yeah. I shout out to the to the black women voters, because at least I got to play to my base. Yes, on this indeed. Podcast, right? yes <laughs> indeed. They showed um, up. Because they, they, they love up. me. I sent, I sent Brian a video this week of a black oh, woman God. who came up to me and <laughs> just told me to go hard on them and, and um and continue to do a yeah. good job. But, but and, and in the video, she she said that she wanted Theron to kick my butt. That was uh, yeah, she it was did. it was she it did. was civil. She said it with a smile. Traditionally show up, so yeah, for sure, have a voice. But um. But but here's the thing that Brian Miller I think is basing his candidacy on right and again I don't think I met him one time and I, you know I think Brian and I have a mutual friend who who's we did some work with him with the Miller Institute is Wazell Miller yes he did betray the Democratic Party by switching to a Republican Party speaking at the Republican convention endorsing um, former Governor Nathan Deal. for those of us who've been doing politics in Georgia for a long time I remember Lisa. The, um, the magnitude of the popularity and the influence that former lieutenant governor at the time, Zell Miller, mm -hmm, had. I mean, mm -hmm. he put so many key Democrats in key positions. I mean, Michael Thurman talks about how when he ran for Congress in DeKalb County against Cynthia McKinney, who you know beat everyone pretty pretty handedly, Zell Miller put him over to run the Department of Family and Children uh, Services uh, in, in Georgia. And so Zell Miller still has a huge following mm -hmm. in Georgia. It's not as big as it once was because, yes, I think Democrats, we, we definitely still feel some type of way that he turned his back. But I do think the Hope Scholarship, Lisa, is still the most popular piece of legislation that has been introduced, not only mm -hmm. in the state of Georgia, but around the world. I mean, what Hope is continuing to do uh, for so many young people is is amazing. So he's, but he does have the challenge of running against a guy like Derek Jackson, who's in the race, the current state representative mm -hmm. who raised the most money this time around. Also, state representative Eric Allen, who's a very charismatic and strong leader out in Cobb mm -hmm. County. So Derek and Eric are both my friends. Mm -hmm. And there's another person in the race, the name uh, escapes me uh, right now. But you know, the Zell Miller sort of play, I think it'll it'll work with some people. But I do think, uh, also correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, I heard this week that he was also the uh, former campaign manager for Congressman Doug Collins. Yeah, uh, once upon a time. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, well, that's going to that's gonna go over well. <laughs> yeah. But, but Lisa, again, it's a wide open race. I want to be fair to the All guy right. because Brian Robinson sure. has tried to destroy his, his credibility. But... Um, I do think that he's got to figure out how to pivot from just being, you know, this grandson of, of former governor and U.S. Senator mm -hmm. Zell Miller in the state. Got it. Democratic strategist there in Johnson. You fixed that. You did. You, you just fixed that for him. Uh, Republican strategist <laughs> Brian Robinson. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having breakfast today. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. <laughs> 
Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org.